Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Charles Smith to the podcast. Charles serves as the Senior Vice President for Institutional Relations and Assistant Professor of Christian Leadership here at Midwestern Seminary. In addition to his seminary responsibilities, he served in varying ministry positions at churches in Alabama, Mississippi, and Kentucky. Charles, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be in the studio today and uh, to record this. We are in July. It's pretty warm in Kansas City, and uh, the camp is a little bit quieter. And uh, we're here just recording in the studio and getting to catch up, which has been a fun week here on campus, and uh, to get to also produce some content. So I'm delighted to have you in the studio today to be talking about and thinking about the pastor's time management. And uh, again, at first glance, upon first hearing, that may not sound directly connected to preaching and preachers, but it really is, because to be a faithful pastor and to be a faithful preacher, one has to have time. And many of us, too many of us, time kind of runs out the door before the sermon is prepared. And so we're thinking today about how to most optimally steward the time the Lord has given us, not just in the macro sense as far as our lives and the great epochs of our lives, years and decades, but our time in a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, and week-to-week sense. As we're talking today, again, we, we acknowledge on the front end that pastors have many demands in their lives. The demands of ministry seem to only compound, and you have kind of the traditional, the perennial demand, sermon preparation, pastoral care, counseling scenarios, things of that nature, the personal spiritual disciplines, devotion to them in your own life, evangelism, and so forth, but also things kind of in our contemporary generation, time commitments the one has to allocate energy to, things like crisis management through COVID. Uh, A lot of pastors have been dealing with that. And having solution fatigue for having to come up with solutions to these crises. And then you have these generational, these seasonal distractions, uh, social media, the attention-grabbing articles on the internet, things that would come into our lives and rob us of our time. So I think it's good today that we just think holistically about, sure. about time management. So delighted to have you in the studio today, your friend, your colleague, and one who gives much attention to leadership and to leadership theory and to the practicalities of leadership, obviously including, including time management as well. So before we get into the topic today, give us a word of update on you and uh, your family and on things hopping around here. Yeah, I appreciate that. First of all, just thanks for having me here and thanks for having me on the podcast. Obviously, I've followed this for, gosh, seven or eight. How long is it? Nine years I think now? Nine years. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just remarkable. We're in a really sweet season. Been married 15 years, coming up this, actually, actually just last month. And uh, the Get girls- Get that right. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> uh, scratch that. But uh, the girls are in a sweet season. Uh, it's hard to believe we're coming up on an anniversary here at Midwestern Seminary. Obviously, you in, in October and me in November. So we just have so much to be thankful for. I must have been on the front end of this conversation that- As a boy, my dad, anything I was weak in, he would have me teach it to someone else because he would have me think critically about this. I'm a little unnerved that you want me to talk about this subject. (laughs) That's why this is my indirect way of getting to think more intentionally, Charles. That's that's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, Tell me about, not me, but our listeners, remind us of the age of your girls, their grades, and kind of their interests these days. So so we have three girls, uh, 12 to 6. Man, they're into everything. We've got one entering seventh grade, one entering second grade. And so it's quite the span. We've We've got one that's still cuddleable, and uh, one that's kind of drifting towards the, the teenage years, which is uh, which is sweet in and of itself. I tell my wife a lot. There's 
added layers of complexity, but also sweetness to, to the years. And so we're enjoying that. Uh, man, we love Kansas City. Again, it's just hard to believe, sweet to believe, but hard to believe we've been here 10 years. And uh, I'm just grateful for that. Sweet season at church and even here at the seminary. I mean, there are benefits to 10 years here. There's, there's right. greater trust and the flywheel's moving, so to speak, to use a leadership term. And so we're grateful for that. So. So you completed your PhD. Now what, a year ago, year and a half ago? No, it's been two years. Two years ago. Yeah, two years. In yeah. leadership. Yeah, did that in leadership. Seminary. That's right. Southeastern with Dr. Aiken. It was a fantastic time. Glad to both have done it and have it done. Right. And you have a book on leadership coming out roughly I when? I do. Missional Leadership with B&H. It's due in September. So I've, I've pushed that back a couple of times just because of the business of time management, uh, business of life. But that should be coming out in the spring. So. So I, I guess I would begin, Charles, by asking you, just as a believer, not so much as a pastor, but just as a Christian, why is intentionality with our time important? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. And one of the things that comes to mind when you ask that question is I think most of us, when I ask that question, rush to to-do lists, productivity tools, hacks, our favorite book about this. And honestly, oftentimes stress and even shame of the things that we should be doing that we haven't done and and those sorts of things. And I don't think that's unique to ministry leaders. That's just a human experience that there's a lot of ought going on. And I think when we think about this conversation as theologians and Christians, one of the first things we should do is really anchor this in Scripture, anchor this in a bigger view of who God is, what time is, and things like that. I mean, to open our, our Bibles the first three words of Scripture is in the beginning, which is a chronological reference to time. I mean, God, God is introducing us to time. The next chapter is walking through the days of creation, which are ordered by time. He's working six days, resting. The dominion mandate is in the shadow of that, that we're called to create and subdue in the shadow of these rhythms that have been set up in chapter one. And then you look throughout the Old New Testament and people are commended for their stewardship of time or their lack thereof. I mean, think about the Proverbs, consider the ant, there's mm-hmm. there's a lion outside, you know, all, all these these things. And then, I mean, think about Psalm 90, Moses, of all people who has been in the presence of God, is asking to God, that God would help him order his days. And and so I think for us, one, we should recognize this isn't some leadership hack that the best and brightest think about. This is something that's fundamental to the human experience, that even in a post-fall world, that scripture would say the days are evil, that we don't drift towards productivity, we drift towards laziness and idleness. And there's actually active opposition to godliness in our life. And so I just think that's not natural to the man in the 21st century. Netflix is natural. Instagram is natural. And all those things not only rob us of productivity, typically, they rob us of joy, of satisfaction, of industry. And so I just think this is a huge deal, something I'm excited to talk about. But I also think it's not only theologically rich and significant, it's just timely. This is something I think a lot of people are talking about. So let me uh, play a little game here with you. So I was... uh, walking with Karen the other day, a couple weeks back, kind of a longer walk and just reflecting. And I said, let's play a little game, dear. I said, what's like one thing that you think about all the time? But I have no idea you, th- you're, you ever think about it. Oh, wow. And uh, you think That's about a great it, question. Yeah, because like, a lot goes through our head, right, as human beings, you know, and not yeah. all of that that we even, we even express to others, not out of some sense of privacy or secrecy. Maybe we shouldn't even think to. For me, she said, what about you? I said, you know, I think about my mortality mm. all the time. Mm. And she was like, are you serious? I said, sweetie, I think about my own mortality like every day. Sure. 
And even as we're discussing this, you know, reflecting about this morning, of, of reflecting on that for a moment. And it's not like some deep thought. It's not, it's not some, you know, sobering in an ultra sense of, of like being depressed, but just an awareness. It's not of, a dark of, thought. Yeah, just like time yeah, sure. is ticking. Time right. is ticking. And, you know, I read the book a couple of years ago, 4,000 Weeks. And yep. so it means you have 4,000 weekends. So like yep. every weekend now that's in yep. my head, like, okay, yep. if you think about 4,000, like if you had four thousand dollar bills on a table, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you pull them off, yeah. and then if you know again, who knows the type of uh, lifespan God will give me or not give me, but the actuarial tables are, you know, I'm deeper into four thousand sure, to zero sure. as far as that spend rate. Sure. And so I, I guess for you, I would ask both biblically and practically and even experientially, how much does a sense of our own mortality and the sense that life is a vapor, how much yeah. should that focus us as relates to our time management? Yeah, I think it's countercultural to think about death, but you think about Jonathan Edwards and the resolutions and how much of that, if you just scan that, not even consider it too deeply, he's talking about death in his early 20s, almost in a alarming fashion, how, how often those resolutions are pointing back somehow to measuring his days. And so I, I think it's a huge deal. I'm reading a book right now called From Strength to Strength, which is about midlife. I don't know if I'm at midlife, but I at least want to prepare for it. But one of the things he's referencing, you're staring at it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I don't want midlife to happen to me. Right. I, I'd like to kind of get out a few years in front of that. And one of the things he's referencing is how early we peak. He's mentioning different careers. You know, poets peak at this age, and it's all based on how long you're in school and what the job entails and those sorts of things. But the long and short of it is you have peaked way sooner than you think for most people in their careers. Most medical breakthroughs are done by people in their late 20s, uh, their early 30s. I mean, one of the things I thought reading this book was I'm so grateful we have a young team at Midwestern. I think part of the innovation is not great leadership merely. I hope some of that is true. But I think it's also just having a bunch of young people around that are are exuberant and hungry. Ideas are bubbling up, yeah. That's right. So I just think that's a that's a huge thing. And I think far from being dark and robbing us of life, I think it it uh, enhances life, it sweetens life, it seasons life, it orders life in a way that you're able to think that you're right. Time is ticking. I, I think that can become legalistic. And maybe that's something we can talk about later that, that you don't take walks with your wife. I think you do that really well. Or you're over-calculated in everything you do. And it, I can tend to drift that way sometimes. The way I put it with Karen, the same with money, you know, no. there are times when we need to be knowingly inefficient. Mm-hmm. You know, like we know we're, we're you know, let's just we buy can, this $15 popsicle. Yeah. Or like, okay, I could handle this in a 10 second email, but I actually want to walk down the hall, talk to the guy and spend 20 minutes just talking. And so we're going to intentionally be inefficient because we're not robots, we're souls. That's right. And we're humans, and we crave that community, that human interaction, and we benefit from it. Yeah, that's a big deal. So I guess getting more specific, um, say a few words about time management for the pastor as to why, in particular for pastors, it's important. I think we'd want to be careful to say the pastor is not this unique role. I think sometimes pastors talk and ministry leaders talk as, as if the banker's not busy, the stay-at-home right, mob's right. not busy. <laughs> Only the pastor needs a sabbatical. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. I think business is just part of the human experience. But what I would add to that is I think pastors are part of a field of work called knowledge work, which doesn't have a clear beginning and end. You don't you don't come in at 8 and typically leave at 5. You may schedule a Sunday sermon, but not the Saturday funeral. And so you you just have to kind of live with what comes at you. You you don't get to choose when your deacon has an affair and and those sorts of things. I wouldn't say that's altogether unnatural for other people in other fields, especially higher level leaders, but it is something that people have to contend to. I think what's unique in ministry is the types of interruptions, interruption at the bank that someone miswired 
money is different than an affair that just has a different emotional tax on someone, right? So that's that's a big deal. Still don't want to miswire money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, money to anybody. But I, I think that's a big deal. And so I, I think for ministry leaders, there's both the inability to shut it off and the inability to predict most of your work, which means I just think it puts all the more pressure on structuring what you can structure. Yeah, so the way I think of it personally is the parts of my ministry responsibilities that that most feels like work are the parts that I'd be most intentional about those structural barriers. At the same time, I also know where my passions go, and I need to be mindful, even the things that I love, that, that I have a pie of time, and That's I need right. to kind of pre-slice Even it. that needs a box. Even that needs a box. Yep. Even that needs a box. You know, I do think we can kind of romanticize or, or over-aspire to the perfect work-life balance, but people where it's all kind of work and life and play, and it all just mixed together, in my mind, the metaphor is just like a big swamp. And you're not really happy at work because you are you're not really focused at work because time you know life's and, and vice versa and it's just kind of swampy and you you're never on but you're never away and, right. and it's just all messy and sure. so you know there are parts of my job that is so exhilarating so much fun I could do it all the time and so I don't I don't need to put barriers around it like for my personal well being let's I don't think but I do need to put sure. barriers around it for the well being of the people I love. That's right. I don't think you can get to time management without first asking, who am I? And by that question, I mean, what are my gifts? What are things that feel like work for Jason Allen? What are things that feel like leisure? That's a relevant question. But in addition to that, what what am I called to do? I think those things are complementary, but what has God given me to steward by way of gifts, by way of calling, by way of family, by way of seasonality? I think once you have clarity on those things, and I think for the vast majority of people, they're just sticking a productivity Band-Aid on top of to use your analogy, uh, what'd you say, a swamp? swamp. A, a swamp, yeah. And instead of, man, let's get the corners tight on what God has called us to do. And I think oftentimes productivity will will rather naturally emerge from that clarity. Most people are not asking, what are my gifts? Even things like, how do I work? How do I read? Do I enjoy being with people or not being with people? Do I like mornings filled by meetings or afternoons? filled by people, you know, the, those sorts of things. Or neither. <laughs> or, or, or neither. <laughs> For so. And that's exactly right. And I, I don't think we come pre-wired with that. I mean, you and I get to spend all day with 20-somethings, men and women, married, unmarried. And I think a lot of people in that season, even in your 30s, you're kind of still figuring a lot of that out which is one of the reasons, again, a plug for higher education at Midwestern Seminary. One of the sweet things about what we get to do is put people in context where they, in a low-risk environment, get to kind of test some of that out. So give us a sense about how delegation factors into all this in the ministry setting or even in a non-ministerial setting. Yeah, I I think— 90% 90% of effective delegation is about clear communication and expectations. And I think the clearest parallel to this is just making sure you have time in your calendar to be sufficiently clear on the front end. I can be really bad about dirty delegation. That's something I, I've worked on pretty significantly in the last few years. But in the haste to see results, you fire off an email that could be interpreted in any of 12 different ways. There's no clear deadline. There's no clear goal. There's no clear even target of who this is going to, who's, right, who's right. the recipient of this. And so I think often that's just because I don't have time on my schedule where, hey, I have two hours to work through email. And I'm not rushed for that. I'm not hurry into the next thing. But in addition to that, time to follow up with those people ongoingly, because even the perfectly constructed email of delegation is still going to get 
it's it's subject to misinterpretation. Right. So you just need time throughout the week to to circle back with those people. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to be said there, but I think that's the big deal is clarity on communication and having time to do that. So in a local church setting for many pastors, they're listening, they're thinking, I like to delegate, but I don't have anyone to delegate to. What would you say about strategic delegation for people in those settings, pastors, ministry leaders, who they may not have an admin assistant, they may not have an associate pastor. What would you say to them about strategically having an eye out for the people in their church who may not be paid at all, but have a heart to serve, and they can be in, you know, enlisted, equipped, and empowered to really take up some of the ministry responsibilities of the church? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think the fundamental thing we're getting at here is that time is is a limited resource, right? And and you've got 24 hours, I've got 24 hours. And whether or not you have 30 staff members or three or zero, you have 24 hours. And so I think a lot of people that tend to not naturally think in kind of a leadership management framework, they tend to think, this is what I can do, period. And I think the, the people that you see really thrive in these settings and thrives with people that may not necessarily be on their paycheck or people that work at casting vision, casting values, passionately articulating where we are wanting to go. And I think what a local church pastor, I hope what they would find is there are dozens and dozens of people around you that you don't yet even know that see them as a, a tuning fork, that they are perfectly designed by God to resonate with that vision. And I think when you... Oftentimes, just the vision has to come first before you have the team. And I think when you articulate the vision, man, people's hearts will connect with that. And whether they get paid or not, people want to get paid. They need to get paid. But fundamentally, they want a life of significance. And I'm always amazed how much uh, – got to be careful with interns listening in on this podcast – but how much intern, unpaid interns, me as an unpaid intern back in the day in college – I would bend over backwards and work 40 hours a week if I believed in the thing, I felt loved, I felt appreciated, those sorts of things. So I think a lot of people that have a little staff or no staff or little resources underestimate their ability to inspire change. To mobilize mobilize people. people. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. So what would you say, again, back to ministry leaders especially, what would you say to them about guarding their time? What what are some observations you've made or perhaps practices you've personally incorporated? Yeah, the, the the first thing I would say, and again, not to belabor this point, but the first thing I would ask before we even get to calendars and tools and hacks and those sorts of things, I, I would just spend serious time with yourself and those who know you and love you asking, who am I? <laughs> what, what are my gifts? What has God called me to steward? I, I think it's helpful to think about this in concentric circles. So if we were to take Charles Smith, there's Charles Smith, uh, the human then there's Charles Smith, the Christian, and there's Charles Smith, the the husband and the father, and then the senior vice president, whatever. And and those things have corresponding allocations of time and responsibilities. That's right. And so I would want to get clear about that. And then from there, say, okay, what are the goals for my life in this season? And then I think when you have that, hey, this is what God's called me to. I've apportioned that in a particular way and in a particular direction. Then we can sit down and nerd out on calendars, and which is what people are probably looking for in this podcast. And so what I do, I do every semester something I call an ideal week. Uh, I got this from 
ministry friends of ours. But but basically what I do is I give every week on my calendar a theme. So Mondays are for meetings. So if you my wife tries to get me on Monday, it's it's tough. I'm kind of meetings all day. I know you do that as well. Uh, Tuesdays is kind of a chapel for student tacos. day. <laughs> Tuesdays tacos, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's just only part of the day. But I think that's helpful. And here and it goes back to delegation. If you have an executive assistant or somebody helping you with that, it's helpful. Think about how how many emails and mm-hmm. questions this limits to go. No, somebody's asking to have a meeting. Charles does meetings on Mondays, and and that cuts out a lot of stuff there. But I apportion it in my calendar, literally, and you've seen this before, and this is ideal. Remember, sometimes I I don't get up this early, but ideally you get up at X time. That's on the calendar. Bible time is on the calendar. Workout is on the calendar and not happening. And and through the week, but all the way. I remind myself what I'm not doing. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, just get the shame in there. But (laughs) where it's helpful is if you just have gaps on your schedule, one, uh, you say, hey, can you get together in the afternoon? And and one, I don't know. And two, I don't have a legitimate reason to tell you not to. But if it says focus desk work, which is what my calendar probably says, I know, no, during that time, I'm responding to email. I'm maybe preparing for this podcast. So that's a big deal. And what I will also do with an assistant is if I want to have three lunches a week, for example, uh, on different days of the week, I will even put on that ideal week, who should that be with? So literally my calendar right now on Tuesdays says if a student, a staff member or a local ministry partner reaches out, that's where we're going to have lunch. I've just given that a place. I've, I've given it boundaries. I'm not doing five times a week, though I'd probably love to, or one. And I looked at that, not in a rush, but with the perspective of the semester in mind, my teaching schedule in mind, hey, I can do this. And then that evolves a little bit, but largely that's kind of it. And I, I do that in consultation with my executive assistant and our senior team to go, hey, is this enough one-on-one time? Is this enough meeting time? And we kind of evaluate that every six months. But that is, to me, as far as protecting rest, protecting work, protecting priorities, I live and die by a calendar. Like if it's not, you, you could, I'm kind of a robot. Like if you put on my calendar, drive to Wyoming tonight, like I'm kind of getting in the car and driving to Wyoming and then asking why on the way. And I think that's largely helpful. So Charles, last question here before we run out of time, what would you say about a balance, especially again for ministry leaders between productivity and rest? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I think there's an overabundance of people talking about rest right now. And I th- I think there are both people that need to not stop talking about rest, but probably need to hear admonitions in Scripture about the lion being outside and to heed the ant. I think there are those people. You know, history tends to swing the pendulum one way or another. And I think we we left kind of a, not a workspace, but a pragmatic, hyper-worked 50s, 60s, and 70s maybe in ministry, and we're swinging back the opposite way. And my personal opinion would be we could probably correct back in the, the hard work discipline uh, way in some areas. And yet there are people listening to this podcast that have placed their identity on their productivity and their ability to, you know, we, we don't do stuff for God so he will love us. We, we do stuff for God because he has loved us. And I think that's just a, this, that is cheesy in a way, but it is the axle of this whole conversation. I think we're most productive when we're motivated, not by fear and legalism and works, but we're motivated truly by the gospel, which is, I can't believe I get to do this. Most of my life has been, I have to do this. I feel shame because I haven't done enough. That's just kind of how I wake up, wake up every morning. That's just how I'm naturally wired. And so I think for a lot of people, that's the space they're in. And then there's others that 
you kind of need a kick in the pants and, and you need to be motivated by the same gospel, which is God loves you and has sent his son to die for you and has redeemed you and has equipped you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day he's going to return for you. All that motivates you again back to managing your time well. Charles, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.